Hi, welcome to Hey It Gets Better. I'm your host, Katie Watson, and today I'm chatting to Lucy Werner from The Worm and the author of the book Hype Yourself. We chat about a lot of things today, from how Lucy got her start in PR to how she actually wrote her book. We also talk about what it was like for Lucy in her 20s and how important self-love is. I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Thank you so much, Lucy, for being a guest. You were fantastic. And yeah, enjoy. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on Hey, It Gets Better. Thank you for having me. It's an honour to be here. Um, So for those of you who haven't seen me hyping about Lucy's book on my story, I'd just like to give Lucy a chance to explain who she is and a little bit about herself. (laughs) Thank you very much. So uh, yeah, I'm Lucy Werner. I had a book out earlier on this year, January 2020, called Hype Yourself. And that was sort of the culmination of running my own agency for about five years. Before that, I had worked in PR for over over a decade in in some formats. Um, And basically, my mission now is to try and service as many small business owners and freelancers and entrepreneurs to arm themselves to be able to do their own publicity and not have to spend loads of money on an expensive agency. That's amazing and I've read your book and it's just fantastic. So anyone out there who's listening and thinking of maybe going into PR or something like that it's a must read. It's called Hype Yourself and I'll have a link to buy it on Amazon below in the buy in the like show notes. So I'm just gonna start straight away with the questions then. Yeah go for it. So at Hey It Gets Better, we like to talk about the challenges, the ups and downs and the things that are quite tough in life. So it's like a really broad question, but, you know, what sort of challenges have you faced, you know, you know, thinking back to your early 20s or even to now to get to where you are today? So, you know, when I first uh, got a gig in PR, I was 17. I actually got a work experience gig. Um, for a week and I ended up staying on for the whole summer and I (laughs) didn't want to go back to school like I loved it so much but the founders of the company were like you know go to university get your degree come back and when I came back that company had gone bankrupt and I didn't have any other PR contacts and I really struggled to find a way in Um, I did all the things that you shouldn't do so I sort of sent blanket emails that weren't tailored to loads of PR agencies nothing tailored or bespoke just literally like you know hire me I've got a media degree type thing and in the end I uh, my first job was actually it had sort of a bit of PR in it, but it was predominantly kind of marketing a new business for a data intelligence company, which was based in St. Albans. So I moved from Kent to St. Albans, um, which, to be honest, I think even after university, moving to a big city like London, if you haven't got any experience of it, it can be quite a scary move. Um, so moving to St. Albans was kind of, I, I guess, a good sort of stepping stone. But it's definitely not got the same cultural landscape as London has to offer. <laughs> the geek in me really likes data intelligence and it was definitely good for me to understand. Um, and in a weird way, uh, that kind of knowledge that I learned about customer data and how you use it really served me for a lot of my later jobs and, and doing my own business now. But it wasn't, I wasn't passionate about it. It wasn't, I didn't dream of doing PR for data and getting clients data intelligence magazine for example so 
So um, then I was sort of just applying for team assistant roles and I managed to get into an ad agency in the new business and marketing department, which is quite often where PR sits. So I kind of managed to get a bit of my foot straddling a little bit into PR, but a little bit of new business and marketing in an ad agency, um, which was worse paid than the data intelligence job <laughs> in London. Um, and it was a real baptism by fire. Um, but, you know, it was kind of, that was my first sort of leg up, if you will, into the right direction. And then I moved in house and it, and the problem with in-house roles can be, especially if you're interested in a particular niche, like PR or marketing or design is once you've done a year or two of the calendar year, it doesn't change that much. So unless the person above you leaves, your job role's basically the same. And I thrive on like change. I don't really like things to be the same. I get bored. So then I left to join an agency. And I guess that agency was called Eulogy. And that probably is where my PR career really took off. I, I was, I've been longer there than I've been any other agency. I think I was there for nearly four years. Um, which was a large chunk of my 20s. So I guess you could say I really cut my teeth there. So I, I guess the challenge is really the same that anybody faced in their 20s of like how, I mean, I was different in that I knew what it was I wanted to do. I just couldn't find my way to get there. I think other people are getting places, but it's maybe not necessarily what they want to do. Yeah, I think that could be quite frustrating though, um, when you know what you want to do and you just can't, you know, get your foot in the door there because that's, I know that can be really in, quite infuriating, you know, you just, you know, you want to do this, you know, you can be good at it, you just need someone to give you that chance. And even at the time, I would, I was rushing to get through it, like, I didn't see the point in all the photocopying and the Excel spreadsheets and, and the admin and doing all that admin stuff well. And um, this come full circle, because I used to, I used to really infuriate my old boss in, in the in-house <laughs> role I had, from like the typos on spreadsheets or the not doing them neatly. And she always took it that I didn't care. And I just took it that she was furious with me all the time. And um, and now that I've had like my own juniors, I've had the same thing happen. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not that they like don't care. It's just they're rushing to get stuff done. And it's a different thing. And I think there is quite a tendency to rush now. And I think part of that is this social media culture where we see a lot of people making it in the early 20s. And you know, all these kind of like 30 under 30s, 35 under 35, like we're all rushing to sort of make it before our 30s. And actually, I don't think I, I mean, sometimes I meet people in the early 20s now and I'm like, how the hell? Like I was a complete idiot like at, at that age. Like all I cared about was, you know, drinking and boys. Um, and probably to my own detriment, like I look back now and think, oh, I wish I wasn't like that. But had I not gone through the experience I've got through, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so it's a weird thing, but I I do think that we're all in a rush to kind of make it and actually learning your craft and honing those skills. It's like a 10-year process. I don't think I could have set up my own agency in my mid-20s and not done it and not, you know, not to the level of success that it was when I did launch it. I definitely agree with the whole sort of like being in a rush thing. I mean... I feel like when I go on Instagram, everyone's like succeeding in everything they do. And, you know, a 30 is like creeping up on me and it's not even that close. Like I am 21. It's nowhere near, babe. You're nowhere near. 
I guess you still have the like nice things. I mean, I still think about drinking and boys, but then I have like this whole other side, which is like business Katie, who's got like business books and things like that. Is it the hashtag girl boss? Yeah, definitely. And I think though that's good in a way because I have loads of like female role models who, you know, empower me and I want to learn things. But also I do actually need to make sure I take time to, you know, enjoy my 20s. Totally. Totally. Because, you know, especially when there's things like, you know, casual pandemic happening, it makes me sort of realise like there's no escape from my life. You know, I have a partner and two children and a business. I can't just get up and do what the hell I want anymore. And I don't think, I think I definitely took for granted that ability to do, and I say that quite broadly, when I first moved to London, my salary was very low and I had university debts. And I remember like budgeting for my food each week. And I remember, I think at that time, I mean, that time, gosh, I sound so old. I'm not that old. <laughs> but at that time, I could do a weekly supermarket shop for 25 quid to do my packed lunches, like for my, all my three meals, including my packed lunches. But certain things like ham or cheese would be really, like that would be on the more expensive end. I'd be like choosing, like, do I want to have like ham and coleslaw or do I want to have cheese? Like, what's the, you know, and it was, it was really like that for my first sort of two or three years. Um, and that was one perk of working at a big agency is that there was a lot of free bars and I was there. <laughs> I was there <laughs> because I was like, I need to get my money's worth. I don't make enough money here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when I say you can do whatever you want, you know, I was limited when I say that, like, I obviously have my budget for going out. I used to be able to go out for 20 quid on a Friday night, get a bottle of wine. And when that finished, I'd get the bus home. And between that and my club entry, that was my 20 pound, 20 pounds done. Um, so yeah, you know, there's all different kinds of challenges, I think, when you're in your 20s. And I think it's also sort of worth caveating. I was also in quite a position of privilege being a white woman with a degree. So the challenges that I faced, well, you know, I already had, an, I was already ahead in the starting blocks, you know, if you like. Yeah, I think, you know, it is, uh, you have to also like, you have to sort of remember as well, like, you know, kind of appreciate the privilege you have. Mm-hmm. I'm the same position. I'm a white woman with a degree. And, you know, that probably has helped me a lot. Yeah. And I think it's also what you're taught is what you're taught you're capable of or what people's expectations are of you. Like my parents expected me to go to university. So I just did it. Now, when I look back, I don't know if I would have done it if they hadn't of wanted me. If it, it, it wasn't even like a thing. It was like, you're doing this. Like it just was you know expected of me and I just kind of didn't I think I would have thought if I hadn't have gone I would have been letting them down or something but I don't actually know how much my degree was beneficial to my career in the long term yeah I think that's very interesting as well because I feel like you when you leave university that's the kind of the first point in your life really um, depending on your background but certainly for me it was like you kind of like no one has those exact expectations for you. They're not like you're going to go to university. They're sort of like you choose your job or some people obviously are different where they, you know, maybe like their parents want them to do a certain career, but you have a lot more choice, I think. Definitely. 
and it's knowing, you know, what choices to make. I think there's like a pressure not to make a bad decision about your career and stuff, but you can totally change and pivot. 100%. And actually, I think the thing I find interesting is that for me, there's kind of two um, career pivoters, if you will, I stumble across. There's either the kind of in my peer group, there's like the people who become mums and it changes what they want to do because they want something that's more flexible. Or it's the people who've been, like kind of what I did, which was been doing the same career for such a long time and then you get dis- disillusioned by the company that you're working for and kind of decide that you want to pivot how you do it on your own. Or you get the people who just do something completely different where they realise that you know, they don't want to work in finance, that they want to make a food startup or whatever it is. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think um, the whole, you know, you have one job and you stay in it for 50 years is very archaic now. Definitely. And then I think, you know, sometimes the people you get advice from, like, you know, your your parents and grandparents, mm. but you maybe you don't get advice, you get their opinion. <laughs> um that they you know come from that time where it was you know one job and that's like you follow it through and it's sort of you know managing their expectations first the new reality and there's exciting things as well you know it's not all doom and gloom and struggling to make decisions no and some businesses are doing really well and with what comes with that is like amazing opportunities and I think particularly for people who want to work in the kind of entrepreneurial space or maybe with a more scrappy startup company that's going you know that isn't that typical nine to five and that has got a more sort of vibrant work environment there's a lot of businesses out there that are looking for talented individuals or like people at that junior level so I think it's for me like some of the best hires I've ever had have been people who've literally contacted me directly and said you know and just written to me and said like this is why I'd like to work for you like work for your company here's why my experience isn't relevant but this is how I think I could apply it to your business I think that could work for so many other companies yeah that's pretty similar to how I like I sort of got into my my agency job it's sort of just writing to them and saying they just say the truth you know this is why it would be a good fit and that's quite a good tip for anyone right now because I know a lot of people are struggling especially you know just to get that in in the door especially with the recession and everything I think for me, there's lots of sort of um, Facebook groups that I'm in, um, often written by other authors. So I really like Daniel Priestley, who's the author of um, Key Person of Influence and Entrepreneur, 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 Entrepreneur Mindset and Oversubscribed. And he has like a Facebook group where um, there's loads of kind of entrepreneurs and different business owners in there. And I feel like those are sort of the hubs so that people are looking for you know, an assistant or an operations like manager type person that maybe, you know, he actually said that if you're looking for someone to like run your operations, that you should go to Starbucks or <laughs> McDonald's and and ask to speak to the manager and ask whoever's the manager to be your operations manager because the training there is so good. <laughs> I actually know a few people who've worked at Starbucks, so they should probably like put that now and like right on the top of their cv <laughs> yeah i've gone through the management training program and i'm ready to, because it's a similar skill set you know what we're talking about you know running su- the sort of supply chain and keeping everything ticked over in customer service you know it's all the same things whether you're selling a business service or it's a customer service 
everybody's a customer at the end of the day that's so true and like I just like to talk about how you know your experience sort of writing your book and you know sort of work <laughs> like I did not have to get into because I know what happens because I've listened to it but I just <laughs> I really um so well <laughs> so obviously um I I live with a boy and uh, two <laughs> days after I got my book deal, he was made redundant and I was pregnant with our second child. And because he was at a senior level, he was put on quite a fat gardening leave, which is where you can't work for anybody else. Oh, no. No, it's good, babe. You get paid. Oh, oh, I thought you didn't get paid. I, no. This is like an adult thing I don't know about. Yeah, so when you get put on gardening leave, it's literally like... I remember in my 20s, I was put on gardening leave. And then I was like, hold the phone. This is brilliant. It basically stops you from working with a competitor. Um, but you're paid to basically sit in your garden. Um, so so at that point, my eldest child, I've got two children. My eldest child was in childcare two days, two or three days. Whatever. My child was in part-time childcare. And I was like, right, outside of his childcare, you'll be the primary carer. And I'm going to use that extra time to write the book. So I had six months to get the book finished because that was my due date for the pregnancy. (laughs) So that's how I got it done. But actually, you know, it's funny, like your dissertation feels like that takes you ages, right? And it's 10,000 words. Yeah, like the whole year, basically. (laughs) Yeah. But my book was, I think, like 40,000 words. So I remember thinking, like, how the hell am I going to do this? Like, my dissertation took me, like, my life. But weirdly, I guess as well, I kind of break it down to lots of mini uh, blog posts. So once once I've been testing out so many ideas, like, I know what my audience wants to know about. So I basically kind of carved it up into lots of mini blog posts rather than writing a book. Um, And I knew it was going to be, like, a workbook-type format um so yeah that's basically how I did it for me it's different for every person in their pregnancy but nothing gets me more motivated than the second trimester which is like the second three months period the first three months is awful and you just wanna or I just wanted to sleep (laughs) all the time and then as I was coming out of the end of my first trimester and into like the middle period I was like dang got the big deal let's go 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 (laughs) Let's get on with it, people. We've got a deadline. Um, so yeah, that's how. <laughs> it's so good to like hear you talk about working while you're pregnant. I think there's not really enough information available, maybe for like my generation about this. I mean, it's not something loads of people think about, but I mean, I know I want to have kids when I'm older, but then I sort of don't know. Like, you know, do do you step back and? I know it's very personal, but can you still like work when you're pregnant and things like that? You know, it's, it's it's different for every person, you know, and it's the same for how you feel when your baby comes afterwards. And I find, um, I personally really hate a lot of the mummy and parenting advice I, out there because either it's really like, nobody tells you how hard it is. It's so hard. And they really rang on about the negative. Or it's really like, this is how I juggle my life and my baby. (laughs) And for me, I'm just like, you know what? Some days it's one camp and some days it's the other. Like I'm, there's also this thing, like when you become a parent of whether you do attachment parenting, as in they are attached to you the entire time and you never let them cry or whether you kind of sleep train them. I mean, these are extreme 
I'm, I'm yeah. being really I'm gonna literally get cussed out by so many other mums in here but I don't think I don't think I have that many mums listening so yeah hopefully I'll be fine this is your chance but there's these two sort of camps right there's these two camps it's sort of like the come on just let them get on with it they'll be fine and then the no they're so new and fresh like you know comfort them and um <laughs> And I, again, I really like straddle the middle of this and all the pregnancy advice I was given was terrible. All the advice I was given about how to run a business with a baby was terrible. And actually how I felt about it was not the same as anybody else that I knew. But all I did know is by the time my second baby came, the Inc magazine finally had a pregnant CEO on its front cover. And that felt groundbreaking. That was, um, you have to put it in the show notes. It's the woman who set up the wing in the U.S., and that was, it was iconic, that front cover. Um, in my own version of this, I did a talk on stage for Courier magazine two weeks before I was due to give birth. And I wore a skin tight neon pink <laughs> dress because I was like, hell, if I'm going to be this pregnant, let's just <laughs> sausage skin this bad boy up there. And um, yeah, I used my out of breath pregnancy-ness to hide the nerves. <laughs> I was like... I'm not nervous, just priority pregnant. Um, but yeah, look, obviously your priorities change when a baby comes, you know. For some people, it's much easier to be at work than it is to look after a kid. For some people, the work environment is toxic after having a child. I am very lucky because I work for myself that, you know, especially when I was pregnant, some days I'd be like, I'm knackered. I'm going to have a nap in the middle of the day. No one needs to know about it. Or, you know, I sometimes would get these really intense headaches for a, for a day. I guess you call them migraines. Um, and I would just be like, sorry, I can't make the meeting today. Can we move them to tomorrow? And I'd just go and lie down. And I think that's the perk, I guess, um, when we're talking about work-life balance or being your own boss, that is the perks. But there's also the other stuff, like, you know, I'm I'm in my late 30s now. So I'm in that sandwich generation where not only do I have children but my parents are getting older and they get ill they've been they've both been ill in the last year and I kind of nobody it never entered my head in my 20s that by my late 30s I might be looking after dual generation I thought I'll have my kids and my parents will help me out not I'll have my kids and I'll be juggling between my kids and looking after my parents didn't even enter my head in my 20s or probably even in my 30s until it actually happened but I'm the youngest of three. So, you know, my siblings yeah. are in their 40s. So, yeah, I don't think um, they're kind of... I worry about this sort of hashtag mum boss uh, thing almost as much as I worry about the higher girl boss thing. Because I think, well, it's not like that with guys. Like, guys are just entrepreneurs. They're not girl bosses. And guys just run businesses. They're not dad bosses. So why are we, it's great that there's more women out there, great that there's more young women who are becoming female founders, great that there's more women who have children who are juggling businesses and children, but the the hashtags with them, sometimes I think they're a bit bit dangerous. Yeah, I think as well, it can be like a bit patronising, especially like girl boss it's like yeah <laughs> because you know how are you supposed to get like you know feel older and get treated more respect and more maturity when you've just got someone saying oh you're a girl boss and it's a bit I think you know we don't need a name for it you're just like you know you're really good at your job and you're totally doing your industry just a boss just a boss yeah 
I think maybe we have to do the other side. We'll just start being like, oh, you're a boy boss. And then (laughs) everyone will realise how it doesn't work, really. (laughs) Exactly. Also, congratulations on your engagement. (laughs) Oh, don't. I just remembered that. I've got two children. I've got two children. So the engagement now is sort of a bit like, oh, you know, it's nice, but it's not all that surprising. (laughs) I guess. Not going to dramatically change my life. We already live and work together. Just means now we'll probably have a bit of a party. Yeah. I think that's still as, as well one of those things where, you know, people now they get engaged um a lot more common like after having children especially with the cost of weddings I honestly wasn't that bothered about it like I kind of wanted to be asked because I thought it'd be nice but I wasn't um you know I <laughs> my company's my own name like my name is yeah. such a huge part of my identity the thought now of like my dad handing my hand over in a church to another man to be like who gives this woman away oh like it's not for me and I was never one of those girls that like dreamt of the ring or the dress or anything like that I just I like a good party and I like a theme yeah (laughs) you could have a themed wedding and I think it's very um like I've only seen it through the screen but you guys are a really great team and that's kind of shown by how amazing your company is (laughs) yeah yeah thank you I, I mean you don't see yeah, you see, like, what I put on social. So it's obviously a very manicured, uh, filtered that you're seeing of our lives. But thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, like um, like I was saying, you know, your life changes. You go through sort of, like, different stages. And it's sort of nice to hear the different ways people before you have dealt with those changes, such as, you know, um, well, being engaged, being pregnant. But it's just... You don't really hear about that stuff quite a lot. Lots of people will just talk about the successes of it or like they glorify it in certain ways and it's good to hear. I think, you know, I think I guess there's two things really. One is in my 20s, I had really, really low self-esteem. Like I wasn't somebody that would say that I even liked myself, let alone loved myself. So that really did come into play and probably like all joking aside when I was like, oh, the drinks and the drinks and boys thing that that was my way to try and sort of yeah get that external validation for myself rather than me actually doing some inward looking work at myself which I probably also what comes with advancing in your career is having more money so then you can afford to spend money on therapy or yoga or mindfulness or whatever it is that you need to spend on yourself to make yourself feel good and to have a bit of self-love because these things aren't that affordable when you've just come out of university and you've got huge debts and you're trying to find your find your path. So I think what came in that lack of confidence is also I didn't really believe in myself in, in work. And I remember, well, when, you, when we're talking about like the PR agency model, any agency, there's typically about seven or eight job levels. So you can go in as intern or apprentice. Then there's sometimes a junior assistant, then account exec, then senior account exec, then account manager. And I remember being a junior thinking, I'm never going to be good enough to be an account manager. Like I, I, I visibly thought that. And then when I did become an account manager, I had a full on breakdown about it because I didn't know how to manage people. And actually, I think even to this day, I don't think I've said repeatedly on podcasts that I'm a terrible manager. Like if I had nothing else to do but manage people, I could do it because I'd learn how to do it. But actually, I just like doing the day to day. So when I get distracted from the day-to-day having to manage people, I'm not very good at, at like dealing with that. Yeah. So I think that's one thing. 
I think the other thing is, is stereotypically we have done nine to five jobs. And as women, if you, you in the UK, we are lucky that we have a nine month maternity leave. But it's a really big, can I swear? Is this a swearing? Yeah, it's go for it. A, go for a head it. fuck to go from working <laughs> full time to suddenly being off work full time for nine months and then back at work either full or part time. Like that is quite a heavy transition. When I was pregnant, I spent a lot of the first trimester, the first three months sleeping at home a lot and took my foot off the gas. Then I ramped it right up in those middle three months. And then by the final sort of three months, I was, I mean, I say I was winding down. I definitely wasn't winding down as much as I should have been. But I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing like (laughs) crazy hours. I was maybe working every day, but maybe only for a few hours each day. And by the end, I was kind of doing stuff like popping into central London for a coffee and a podcast interview. It wasn't really... Yeah. Yes, it was work, but it was like stuff that I liked doing. I liked doing like nice work, <laughs> nice work yeah. stuff I liked doing. But uh, yeah, so for me, with both my children, it wasn't like I went from working obscene hours to then being a mum. Also, because I ran my own business, I kind of had kept my foot in the door, and I was lucky. And I say that in inverted commas because. There's obviously other stuff that happened with my second child that you probably heard about on other podcasts. Yeah. But um, but but typically both of my children for the first three months did sleep a lot during the day. When they sleep a lot during the day, <laughs> there's not a lot else to do. And you and you've got this brain working and you want to use it. I actually think for me personally, and again, this is all comes down to individual experience because I've had some people who tell me like the first three months are the worst and then I've had other people who are like the first three months is the best because that's when they sleep and then once they start to move and crawl and you can't do anything and they're awake all the time that's when it gets hard for me personally the first few months I, I was able to actually still kind of do a bit more work and actually even with both of my children by sort of six months I was kind of like really on half the time and off half the time Whereas yeah. when they were first born, I was maybe on a little bit each day. I think they're gonna they'll hear this in the future and they'll be like, "See, we let you know we let we slept so you could work, mom. That's like exactly uh-huh. what we did." <laughs> you know, but that comes from like it all comes back to your own childhood though, because with like my parents and Adrienne's parents, we both had experiences of parents that were aspirational, worked really hard, um, and they weren't around. So for us, it was like. We want to be around. That's why Adrian didn't take a job and he ended up joining my company because we were like, well, he's not going to qualify for paternity leave elsewhere. Um, They're going to be little for so long. Like, let's make the most of it. I really love that. Like, kind of like a lot of the advice and things that have come from this is sort of like um, you remind a lot about how, you know, it's personal to everyone's situation. My way is not necessarily going to be your way. But I, I guess the only takeout you could take from that is to find the way that makes you happy and do it that way and screw everybody else yeah I think that comes as well with like everything in life it's not just your career and you know you know whether you know your kind of like social life or your families and like it's all of it really because you know you your own personal situation like no one is identical to you and you have to kind of just you know do what you want and screw everyone else (laughs) there's also the perk of having a French man I was sat there 
like I sat there the other day with like three of the other we have like this kind of what I call the Franglais family where it's like the three French guys and their girlfriends or like wives whatever you want to call us and we were sat there and like one guy had like whipped up a couple of quiches the other one had like whipped up a pudding the other one had got like champagne and French cheeses and we were like (laughs) can you ever imagine going to like an English guy's house and all the different English guys like whipping together some baked goods and some like a fine cheese selection. <laughs> I was like, there's just something quite nice about continental men preparing food. Um, and we were just sort of sat there laughing as like, as we were just basically sat there as the women, like letting the guys faff around the children and the food. And um, yeah. and I was like, you know, it's not, when I was growing up, I never saw that. Like I never, I never saw yeah. that. And I didn't, even with some of like my like, guy mates now, I feel like as soon as they come round, they're like my sons and I'm like clearing up after them. And, you know, even if they're like, can I make a sandwich? I'm still sort of like wiping down the counter after them somehow. And um, so I think, you know, it's that it's also if you have an idea of the sort of life that you want for yourself, it's also choosing a partner that's going to fit into that. I couldn't. Adrian's quite modern in his way of thinking and he's quite happy for me to sometimes take the lead. Right now, he's probably, in inverted commas, taking the lead behind the scenes in terms of workload. Um, But it could be either of us at any time. And it has been either of us at any time. And that's, I think that's quite a, I think, I hope that by the time it's your generation, that's just the norm. Whereas, you know, we had somebody came to work on our drains and he's also got a kid. I was like, oh, does your partner get up in the night with a kid? And I was like, yeah, of course he does. It's 2020. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I think I need to tell your fella how to man up. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be married to you. Um, and it's <laughs> so, yeah, I guess like back to the engagement thing, half of me is like obviously very flat and excited. The other bit of me is like, oh, it's just tiny bit archaic for me sometimes yeah I think when you know you ha- there's this like idea about you know manning up and having control over your wa- woman and yeah. your wife and it's just like no thank no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there as well like because you do sometimes see it especially if you have, you have quite older parents they are kind of in that traditional um sort of western I like couple idea but you and you see my dad won't ever give me a pen knife but he's given like about three to my brother and Adrienne that's so that's just like an like example of how you know girls are raised differently than boys and it's you know I think what you need to kind of like it's something you gain when you get older as well I think you get the self-confidence to kind of know a bit more about what you want in your future and that allows you to make decisions like you know your partner and things like that but it's kind of having that confidence to kind of go against what you've maybe grown up with. That is like kind of the hard thing. I mean, my friends were always like, um, I remember having this conversation. It was like, you date your dad. And it's like, what? <laughs> Are you dating your dad, Katie? I don't think so. <laughs> are there similarities? They are like one similarity where they both what like will like, they love to, you know, bet on the football and everything. And Betting on football's fine. I have I have on my ideal wish list for men growing up was someone that didn't watch football. 
<laughs> because I'm from a non-football household. So there you go. <laughs> That's the thing that you kind of like when you grow up, especially like, you know, who you date and stuff, it just changes. I think like it's just it's life. It's gaining experience, really. Exactly. Exactly. But it also is because I've spoken to quite a few people as well. It's about, you know, if you are in a bad relationship and they aren't fitting what you want in life into things or they're not treating you right there's also the side where you know there's like I'm gonna say it's so cliche that it's close so cliche but like you know you there's someone out there like don't stay for that you know the hard bit about that is is that actually it's that's about your your how much you love yourself rather than about the person that you pick and I think I've only got that from dating far too many um questionable uh choices and um and I think in some ways thinking oh I can change I can change them I'll save them or um whatever I don't know what I was thinking um but I think for me I had uh, yeah like I mean we've mentioned it already but there was so much self-deprecation in my 20s yeah I think it was really only um I came out of a long-term relationship um sort of a a four and a half year relationship the year I just as I turned 30 and I remember turning 30 and thinking shit like I was supposed to be with the one by now I thought I'd have a baby by now this is not how I imagined my life to be and kind of ricocheted straight out of that it was a very um uh lovely like lovely relationship it broke up really amicably we basically were just best mates and it was like this is ridiculous yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna end up having an affair with the gardener if I stay with him type <laughs> thing. um I mean I didn't have a gardener but you know what. yeah uh, <laughs> and um and so yeah and then also in my 30 as I turned 30 in my 30th year I was like ah oh, ricocheted straight into a very inappropriate relationship of which I spent a year in um and that person and I like we clashed and it was literally nothing good that came out of that relationship um and I had a homeopath and a therapist at the time and I remember sort of seeing both of them and talking about that relationship and I could see them sort of looking at me being like you know like when you go for really expensive therapy (laughs) coaching yeah they don't what is a homeopath what homeopath's a bit like um it's basically like old school sort of like natural remedies okay. where like like treats like so you can go with presenting emotional issues so I used to go for anxiety a lot yeah and then I went for um impetigo it's like a skin infection I used to get when I was really run down and stressed okay so I was constantly getting sick probably because I was making very inappropriate life choices and trying to bury them. Um, so I was seeing her for like the physical and my counsellor for like the mental. And when it's kind of this thing, like when you're paying for somebody's services, they don't say you need to go and break up with this guy. They just kind of say things to try and get you to come to that decision on your own. And it took me way too much money and time to realise that I needed to get out of that relationship um and then when I did I almost like went even further down in my self-loathing because I was like oh now I've just wasted a year and I still don't know myself and what I'm doing and um and then that that year I set up the business and I realized 
that there was kind of two versions of myself that I had. There was how I perceived myself at work, how I saw myself personally. And I could say, yeah, I love what I do. I'm really good at it. But I couldn't look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I love who I am. And it took me a lot of work and a lot of time to be able to do that. Um, and I wish it hadn't taken me till my early 30s and setting up my own business to do that. Yeah. Um, but setting up the company gave me that headspace, I guess. Um, I was working locally. You know, I didn't have the same kind of commute. I had a lot more time. I took five holidays the first year I worked for myself. Um, and, um, yeah, I really kind of got to do a lot of work on myself that I wish I'd done when I was younger. So when it comes to poor choices in men, it's sort of like you've got to fall in love with yourself first. It sounds so cliche, but that is my biggest lesson, I guess, that I would pass on to anybody. Yeah, I think, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound sad, but like, how do you, because, you know, I, you know, every, I think a lot of people experience that. Even I experience those moments where I, I don't like your, like myself and it's quite hard to, those moments of realisation. Mm. And like, how did you get, uh, like you know is that anything other than starting like your own business because I don't think I could just do that spontaneously but how how can you like like yourself a little bit more I think you know when you start to look at why you don't look at yourself like everything's rooted in childhood always you know there's always something that there's all you know psychology it is that's what it yeah. all comes down to we all as humans have a desire to be loved and nurtured so maybe it was a passing remark by a family member at a you know a function or you were picked on at school or you didn't fit in or you didn't fit in at home you didn't fit in at university like where whatever it is you know or you've gone through some trauma that uh, people around you don't understand you know there's so many reasons that can make us all you know I'm only scratching the surface here but yeah. things that can make us like not even love ourselves so I definitely don't think I'm well versed to to educate on that but I would say it's all the kind of cliche things so for me I took a lot of solace in reading so um there's a book called um The Art of Happiness which is by the Dalai Lama it's quite an old school one um there's another one called The Four Agreements um you know I think there's so much more literature out there than there was before but for me it's like trying to get into feelings of gratitude trying to journal things that you're happy for because when you're in that negative mindset you can only see the negative so I would try and get into habitual routine so for me when I'm brushing my teeth or when I'm in the shower washing my hair I try and challenge myself to say 10 things that I'm looking forward to that day or 10 things that I was happy about yesterday I don't always have the strict routine of what the 10 things are I just try to make them quite positive I also got weirdly obsessed with the secret for a while, which is all about the law of attraction. So yeah, that's like, you know, if you fall over and stub your tie and say it's going to be a bad day, then hey, like you are going to have a bad day. Um, I don't necessarily know if I totally believe in the whole like manifesting woo-woo side of things. But what I do know is that when you look for the negative, you see the negative. When you look for the positive, you find the positive. So when you're only talking shit talk to yourself, that's how you're going to feel. So you have to stop, start talking kindly to yourself and recognising the things about you that are good. And probably on my darkest days, um, doing things for other people. You know, do three things for other people to show you that you love them. Yeah, 
because when you're thinking when you're only thinking about yourself it's so easy to get sucked into a downward spiral of it when you're doing things for others it it takes you away from your own environment you know yeah that's really good and I think as well it helps us when you do things for other people you also kind of think you know would you treat someone else this way you treat yourself and often the answer is no because you wouldn't treat anyone else like how you're treating yourself and I mean like you it's one of those things as well I will say though it's harder in practice than it is to say oh yes everything is everything is but then if it was easy they'd all be doing it right (laughs) that is so true so just before we finish up today um I'm gonna end the way I end every episode with sort of like what advice you've probably covered it already because this has been a great episode or what advice would you give to someone who's in like that slump right now and they're just feeling like it isn't going to get better for them what would you say to them pivot (laughs) (laughs) I think they but you know what it is is that I've gone through as you know um I've gone through a lot of personal trauma in the last year from like my child being sick to my parents being sick to not knowing where money's coming from to coming out of that, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and then the pandemic hitting. Um, and what comes with that is your resilience being tested. And it's really, it's, it, it, it's, it's hard to stand up and go, I'm going to keep taking a step forward. But on my darkest days in the last year, I was like, all you need to do today is take a walk, eat three decent meals and sleep. So on your bad days, as long as you're getting those three things done, like you exercise and you eat and you sleep, like then you're in the right mindset to start, you know, moving forwards. But if you don't look after yourself, you can't move forwards with those things. So in order to be able to adapt and evolve, you have to be nourishing yourself. Thank you so much to everyone who listens today. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you do enjoy hey it gets better then please share it with your friends and follow us on instagram at hey it gets better i hope you all have an amazing week and remember hey it gets better